Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, December 2019 listeners. Greetings to everyone, no matter when they're listening to this podcast, right, Ben? This podcast is timeless. <laughs> In case it's the first time you're listening to our podcast, uh, I'll just reiterate, me and Ben are a pair of automotive journalists. You can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as nouveaumagazine.ca, but Ben, his work is found all over the internet. Ben, do you mind plugging a couple of the publications you write for? You can find my work at Haggerty Classic Car, at Motor Trend, and Automobile Magazine. And every week, me and Ben talk about a couple of new and interesting cars that we've recently driven, and we try to answer some questions or bring out some of the weird news that has caught our attention. So Ben, let's hit it off. This time, in this episode of the podcast, we drove the exact same car, I think. It's so Um, embarrassing when you show up at the podcast in the exact same car, and you didn't even plan it. I know. It's like showing up at your favorite office Christmas party with the same clothes as everybody else. (laughs) Wait, wait. Favorite office Christmas party? How many Christmas parties do you go to a year? Uh, I'm a fill-in kind of guy. I'm kind of like a seat filler at the Oscar oh, party. Yeah, I so get I it. just like so your phone's just, blowing up in December, basically. Yeah, all the time with people who are like, "Please come to my party with me," um, uh, and I have to show up. And then I eventually I find out that I'm wearing the same clothes as somebody else by accident, and then I have to be I have to leave. But and me weirdest, and Ben, the weirdest part of that is it's always a clown costume. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Ben and I, neither of us are leaving because we drove the same car. We're going to talk about the same car. We're going to compare notes. I have it here in my notes, compare notes. And, uh, I don't have your notes, Ben. So you got to tell them, uh, talk about them on the podcast. Well, it's it's a car that we've actually talked about briefly uh, earlier this year, back way, way back in April, uh, because I went to the launch of this vehicle, which I believe was in Greece. And we're talking about the 2019 slash 2020 Land Rover Range Rover Evoque. (laughs) Okay. Now, if I remember correctly, your impressions of the Range Rover Evoque from that um, drive event back in Greece were really positive. And when I drove this car, that's what I had in my head is that, you know, Ben said some pretty good things about this car and I couldn't wait to drive it. However, I think there was a disconnect in the trim level that you drove and the one that I drove because or the one you drove during the first drive and the one that I'm driving. Uh, I drove for about a week. I wasn't overly impressed with the car but i'm I'm not going to put it down right off the bat by saying it wasn't great i think there were just a couple of places where range rover could have um improved the vehicle and i think we're going to talk about the powertrain in this car first and foremost what do you think well i I mean do you want to start with where it could improve or do you want to start with what you liked about it well starting with if you want to start with where we liked about it i think there's a pretty decent list for example the 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 uh, styling i think is great both interior and exterior styling fantastic um, and the car is – it feels pretty modern uh, in terms of uh, technology inside. I will admit I had a couple of issues where um, certain features, safe, namely like safety or driver's assistance features, stopped working on me like every time I drove the car. And I don't know why that was. Particularly I had blind spot monitoring always shutting off halfway through my drive and I had no, I had no clue and I had no, it didn't even tell me that it wasn't working anymore. Just suddenly the lights and the mirrors stopped turning on. So Did anything like that happen to you? Yeah, that's reflective of what I experienced with the vehicle as well. So to, to your <laughs> point about the interior, this is a vehicle, it's a small SUV, like a subcompact, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it. Roughly the same in size as a BMW X2. Maybe a little bit bigger, but not much. I or think a 
Volvo XC40, which I think is our current favorite in the segment. I think the XC40 is actually somewhat larger. It certainly feels more practical and more useful in, from a cargo and passenger perspective. Um, okay. But it's um, interior-wise, the Land Rover is ahead of the X2. I mean, the materials and the presentation is quite nice. But like you, Sammy... The infotainment system that comes with this vehicle is still clearly a work in progress. Um, this is a if anyone has seen the same type of infotainment, you'll see it in the Velar, uh, which is another recent Land Rover project. It's it's the product. Sorry, it's the one where no, it's a project for sure. It's still a project. <laughs> well, the, the center the center it has two screens, but unlike the Acura that we were talking about last week that has two screens, this is actually. It's the center console is almost entirely a capacitive touch system, and it has four different settings for for different types. Like if you want to see vehicle information, if mm-hmm. you want to see uh, infotainment, if you want to see climate control, and you switch back and forth between these screens, and then you get a whole bunch of touch buttons appear on the screen, and it replaces a lot of hard controls, and it, it actually kind of works together with a couple of dials that are on that screen. Yeah, um, actually, before we get really really critical, I want to say that I actually like the control scheme that Range Rover has has. Accomplished here, I think it's a decent blend of tactile and like like physical touch buttons and on-screen buttons. It does look very good. It 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 is certainly eye-catching, and it really and designers love the fact. So, Sammy, a couple weeks ago, it might have been last week, you were talking about the Taycan Taycan. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it. The Porsche EV and how it has an entirely capacitive touch. Uh, yeah. setup right so yeah. i think that land rover is kind of walking the line in between what porsche is doing and in between what you used to getting from a standard luxury suv and it, it's an okay balance it would be a better balance if it worked all of the time i agree if it if things were constantly working it'd be great like for example um i really like the the controls for the climate system as well as the heated seats now it's a it's a knob with a screen in the middle of it. And you press this knob in to change between regular HVAC settings and the, the seats. And knobs have always needed screens. When am I not saying that? <laughs> Why isn't there a screen under my gas cap? Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. I think, I honestly, I think it's super cool. Um, However, you sent me a photo saying the car just didn't want to activate that function or something like that. <laughs> well, I, I turned the car on one morning, and uh, this is right after I turned it. <laughs> I haven't touched anything, and I get a message on that that center screen that says seats not available. <laughs> so what were say, you sitting? What were you sitting? I don't on? know. I was just floating in front of the steering wheel, ghost like as I do. And I had to wait for the seats to appear, which is inconvenient. I think we can all agree that's inconvenient. Where were they that they needed to – they were not available? Were they so on, uh, at an appointment? What I, were they I wasn't even trying to use any seat-related functionality. That was just the first <laughs> message. It was a great photo. Maybe we'll include that in the uh, in the podcast listing. But, um, yeah, it's little things like that. I had a lot of trouble with Bluetooth um, not reconnecting, which is an okay. issue I had during the original drive in Greece as well. But I – at the time, I was using an older phone, and I thought, oh, maybe this is a problem with my phone. Uh, or the apps that I'm using. But no, it was a consistent issue for me all week. In fact, sometimes I'd have to unpair the phone or I would have to change sources to go back to the the phone as a music source. Right. It's the kind of stuff that you shouldn't have to do. Um, yeah. And there were other times too when I found the response to the system to be a little bit laggy. Like you would push a button and nothing would happen and you weren't sure whether you just had to wait a little bit longer or whether you had to push it again. Right. Um, and then there was the... there's. 
remember how we just said they they like to com- they like to combine the physical and and digital aspects of the of the interfaces together. Another example of that is the is that an infotainment system that I think is on a motor. The screen it yes. like tilts forward. It doesn't always sure. tilt forward though, does First it? Of all, that is completely unnecessary. I don't know why it needed to tilt forward I, in any I, way or form. I right? can tell you why because this is the same company that has given us the shift knob that rises out of the center console in many Jaguar, Jaguar products, yeah. and I believe tweeters that rise out of the dashboard. Is that correct? I thought there were vents that could. Oh, like, you're right. In F type, there's vents that come up and down. So if you're not using the center vents in the F type, they they don't appear. They do pop up. So yeah. So did you have any issues with the the gradual forward tilt of the screen? <laughs> so I think I, I like when I first got the car, I was driving home and I didn't notice it. I was like, oh, it looks kind of that's an interesting angle to have. You can the put screen your at. phone behind it. You can actually sit a phone <laughs> behind it, and then it flies off if you do a corner. Why would I do that? Because you're using the nav because you can't get the nav in the Land Rover to work. Oh, I didn't get that system, that situation to happen. But no, I I mean it didn't it didn't pop out. So I was like, well, that's an interesting angle to have the the screen. <laughs> so you just at. thought it was normal because of course I did, right, right? Like why would it not be normal? And I mean it just looked flush with the dash, right? It was fine. And then another time I drove the car, then this thing started happening, and I think you hear it. It's quite loud too, uh, right? Well, like, go on, go on. Sorry. And then I'm like, hey, what the. And then I tried to adjust it too, and I was like, "No, this doesn't move." No, like, you can't. Well, you might have broken it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, I had an instance where I turned the car on and it didn't flip up, and I was like, "Oh, that's unfortunate." And then I turned the car off and it flipped up. <laughs> like, oh, weird! You got it backwards. As soon as I hit the ignition off, it was back, back in action. Um, speaking of things that that are loud. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, something else I noticed about the car, and, and I really like the interior. I think it's great. Oh, one more mention: the uh, an interesting decision made by Land Rover is on the steering wheel. There are these buttons. Uh, there's these two circular controls, and they control. You can interact with infotainment and stuff, but you also can control the menus that are in front of the driver on the gauge cluster, and they're context sensitive. So depending yeah. on what menu you're looking at, like the the dial could have volume controls on it and then you switch the vo- the the menu and all of a sudden the volume controls are gone and you're seeing a different set of controls on the knob itself, on the little circular knob. Like it, it, extremely it, high tech. It looks However, cool. <laughs> yeah, looks cool, sounds great. When you watch a video of it you're like, "Wow, look, we're living in the 21st century here." And then you try to drive with this these <laughs> controls that are constantly changing on you it is it is a bit it it can be difficult again this is stuff designers love and it does set the evoke apart from other vehicles in its segment um yeah would you call that charming when a car when when the car changes its its you know control scheme every time you change anything it is a bit of a challenge at times it's hilarious um but uh going to my point about noise uh something i noticed um actually i had a friend who uh borrowed the vehicle to take some photos of it he had another journalist he had had the vehicle uh earlier but hadn't the weather was bad so he came over to my place picked it up and then when he came back about an hour later he told me that He's like, what's that noise on startup? It's really, really noisy. It's like a like a suspension setting or something. And it turns out it was the the full length panoramic sunroof, yes. which opens and closes every time you turn the car off. And yeah. it is somewhat loud. Like it, it's not off putting, but you hear it. And, and since and you're it's not long, it's it's not. It's like, <laughs> it's a massive sunroof. Yeah, and it just they're like, we need to open and close this every time. And you're you not it. looking at it, so you don't make the connection that that's what the sound is. But the more the most off putting sound I did have with the vehicle. 
vehicle, and this is some. This is a, this is a. I feel a legitimate criticism, unlike all of my other oh, extraneous. Other. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is a luxury car. It's not inexpensive. Mm. Uh, the week I had the vehicle, it was snowing, so I had to clear the rear window quite often. If you use the pump for the rear window to get the the washer fluid on the window, the pump is located directly beside your head in the headliner near the A pillar. And it is super loud. So you push the button and all of a sudden beside your head you hear and you're like, what is that? And it took me a while to figure out it's the pump for the fluid in the rear. That should never happen in a luxury car. That should be as far away from the driver's ears as possible. It should be either all the way at the back where the where the fluid is coming out or it should be at the front where the reservoir is. That that, that, that to is me is an oversight thing I've ever heard. Are you you're sure about that? I'm That's 100% insane. sure it was repeatable every time. I don't know if it's I'm sh- I thought at first it was just the relay clicking on and off, but no, I'm I'm fairly certain if the pump isn't there, there's something in the pump mechanism that is transferring sound to directly to that spot. Land Rover is very good at building luxury vehicles and that's why yeah. an oversight like this is surprising to me. So I want to get back to this car though and, and just driving it and and living with it for a short period of time. I really wanted to like this car. Every time I get out of the car, I look at it and I'm like, man, that's it a looks sharp so looking good. car. It looks and then it's so got good. those pop out pop out uh, handles, although I think in winter those <laughs> might get caked nice. Well, here's like the thing that. about the pop out handles that I realized. I was coming out of the gym and I was walking up to the car and the handles were popped out. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh no, I forgot to lock it. And because if you lock the car, the handles pop back in, and then when you yeah. unlock, they pop out. So if you're to all thieves who are listening, if yeah. you see a Land Rover with the or or even a Jaguar, I mean the F Type does the same thing. If you see a, a Jaguar Land Rover with the door handles popped out, it's a free pass because that means the vehicle's unlocked. You don't even have to be sketchy and like walk up to it and check. It's 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 a kind of a signal for to, to bad people. Uh, and next week on the Unnamed Finders Keepers podcast, we explain <laughs> how to how to get into a Cadillac. Like what? Um, it's called keyless. Interior, it's called keyless entry, Sammy. And the the interior is is simply gorgeous too. I don't have too many complaints about the handling of the vehicle. I thought it was it handled pretty well for a, a compact uh, crossover. The vehicle does feel a little bit heavier than some of the other cars that we talked about, like the X2 or the XC40, which I still think is a is a competitor in this class. Yeah, I think the XC40, I mean, it is bigger, but it is, it is a class-leading vehicle. There's no question. I mean, if I was to buy a small SUV today, mm-hmm. it, it's it's got to be at the top of the list. And um, and there, there's an insane amount of technology, although it might not work all that well. One thing, though, that definitely needs refinement is the the powertrain, which is a mild hybrid system with a uh, a two liter turbocharged engine and a a forty eight volt um, electrical system. So yeah, and so this is where our disconnect happened because yeah. the vehicles that I drove in Greece did not have the forty eight volt mild hybrid model. It, they were just the so, yeah, sorry, go ahead. It was you can get this two, non-mild hybrid version of the car in North America, too. Yeah, it's 246 horsepower. It's the same engine, but it's uh, it's the same 2-liter, but you don't have that 50 horsepower or so that's added by this electric motor setup. And, mm-hmm. Sammy, I don't know about you, but the car that I drove could not decide what state it wanted to be in. Now, by state, you mean 
my car that I drove didn't know whether or not it wanted to initiate automatic engine start stop or off. Yes. And every time I every time I came to a, a red light or a stop sign or something, and it always got it wrong. Like in almost every single interaction where it should have turned off the the motor, it didn't. And then when it shouldn't have, like say for a stop sign, it did. And I was like, oh, here I go again. Like, yeah, I had a, I had a lot of problems <laughs> with the engine start stop. Uh, not only that, what you described, but also just having it not come on. Um, yeah. it, 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 the gap between pushing the pedal and having the system start again, it, it was not, it, it just wasn't acceptable for a vehicle at this price point. And I was very surprised because the, the regular two liter drives fine. I had no issues. This car was, it just felt like it was hesitating. It felt like there was a lot of handoff going on between either the electrical system, the gas powered system and the start stop. It was a delicate dance that never quite found its rhythm. And that was a problem for me. And I can't tell if it's because it was very cold when I drove it. Well, not very cold, but below freezing the week that I had it. And I don't know if that made a difference in the vehicle and its dynamics, mm-hmm. but um, I was not impressed. And I was so surprised because it felt so different from my initial experience with the Evoke. So the the interesting thing is if you get a non mild hybrid version. So we drove. I drove a car called the R Dynamic HSE, and I'm I'm, a, I'm assuming you probably drove the same trim level. Um, but there are more standard versions of the of the Evoke that don't have this mild hybrid system, and you probably won't get the same issues that we had, right? Yeah, it's it's you know if you if you aim for the lower version, this is you said R P three hundred R Dynamic HSE. That's the one that you had. Oh my god, what a terrible! It's it is a who <laughs> names cars like this? Like, I don't know. That was such a that was, and I also loved that. I, I could also feel like there was a we, there was like a moment when you were probably like reading it before you got to say it on the podcast. You're like, this is really what we're gonna call it: the R Dynamic P three hundred. What, HSE? Like, it's such an insane amount of, of description for a car. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's, it's, this is a car that retails for between forty three and 56000 yeah. So at that space, in that gap, in that range, there's a lot of cars out there. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of bigger cars. And there's a lot of cars that aren't luxury cars, but you could spec up with a fair amount of luxury gear to kind of match what the Range Rover has to offer. But those cars won't have the Range Rover badge. And I think that that makes a big difference in this segment. I mean, there's still a lot of – the the fact that Range Rover has done such a good job of making the Velar, the – to the Range Rover Sport and the Evoque all share very similar look. Um, you know you're driving something luxurious and it's a very handsome package. So uh, how much are you willing to pay for that and how much are you willing to tolerate along the way? I mean I, I would recommend getting the base engine. I think yeah. you'll enjoy it and I don't think the fuel mileage is worth the uh, – or the uh, small amount of extra power. I mean you're looking at 18% more power. Uh, I don't think it's worth the hassles that come with it. And I mean this is a car that I really was hoping – would be a bit better um, because there was so much, there's so much potential and I hope that they can refine it in the next few years and, and iron out some of those, um, those complaints that we had with the, just the consistency of some of the features that they have. If they did, it would be definitely a, a, among the best in the class. I mean, I don't understand why, you know, how a car can be put in this set, in this state into our hands and uh and that's the experience that we get out of it you know yeah it's 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 unfortunate that we keep talking about these problems with land rover and jaguar i mean i really wish we didn't have to and they made i will say this i mean we love the look of the new infotainment system and there's no question that it's 
major strides have been made between this and the previous generation, which was available just a couple of years ago. It's much quicker and the functionality works better, but we still have the same did it work, did it not work feel when we're using certain features. I mean, th- I think that's the the issue here is that they made a car that is so like attractive and has so much you know going for it that we almost want to overlook some of those issues that we have. But I truly can't recommend buying a car like this in the in the state that I tr- that I tested it. It's it just doesn't seem it's yeah practical. It's true, and it's like it's unlike the you know. And I like, wanted it. I want to recommend it because it looks great and it feels great. But it's like it's like with the F type. Um, it's easier to recommend it because there's so many other aspects of its character that are unique that you're right. not going to find with a competitor. But with a vehicle like the Evoque, there are many, 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 many SUVs. Exactly. And they all accomplish essentially the same thing. And the Evoque, dynamically, the Evoque isn't special. Um, and it, the off-road capability is significant. And if that's something you absolutely need in a vehicle that size, then yes, this this is a, a differentiating factor. But I think that that's 1% of the population. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, I agree with you. It, it's very hard for me to say, buy this over an X2 um, until they get these features correct. I, and I'm a little more forgiving if you get the base model. I mean, I think, I think it's Maybe, easier yeah. to recommend. And it's also worth pointing out, like an F-Type, for example, is probably not going to be someone's daily driver. It's not going to be their everyday car. Although it should be. Just saying. <laughs> but an Evoke is a car that you would have to drive every day. And again, every day, every day I drove it, there was a different experience, be it the the blind spot monitoring not working or the the infotainment screen not popping out or apparently the seats not being available, which is just – it's just boggling, right? It is. And to, to think that you're going to spend a significant chunk of change on uh, a vehicle like this and you're expecting a premium high-end experience when in result you get this uh, lotto system of what's going to work and what's not, um, it's just not – I just don't think that's fair. So moving on from um, beating up on the Evoke, which I feel kind of bad about at this point. Uh, this, this is been... it, but is it really beating up because I liked it? I, like, I wanted to like it. it there was just – there's obstacles, and I think those are fixable obstacles. So that's true. Beating up. That's true. All right, we, we were. I think fair. I'm fair. We I were think very I'm fair. fair. Yeah. Um, there, there is some other stuff that we wanted to talk about this week that's not vehicle specific. It's been a good, a good few weeks for news in the uh, automotive industry, and there's some fun things that we've been, <laughs> we've been kind of sitting on. One of those is Volkswagen has decided to launch the Jetta brand, but only in China. Uh, Sammy, w- w- would so <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to think about this. It's 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 Jetta all caps. Yeah, and it uh, has its own badge. It's this. Uh, <laughs> it looks like a V, but it's not. It, no, it's, it's actually more a like J. An, an eagle's beak. I don't know. But there's an SUV and there's a a Jetta, I guess, <laughs> and they're both called the Jetta. Uh, apparently, in in China, eighty percent of Jettas are SUVs. And uh, they call it the VS5 and the VA3. So the VA3 is the sedan. Um, There's a great quote in the the all-caps press release where sales board member Jürgen Stackman says, Jetta demonstrates enormous potential of the entry level. Sammy, do you have any comments on that quote? What does that mean? That doesn't mean, like, first of all, like, the Jetta itself is a vehicle that is supposed to be an entry-level vehicle. That's the way that me and you at least recognize Jetta, is that when we see a Jetta, it's because it's the most affordable product that you can buy at a, at a Volkswagen dealership. Right? It is. They don't make anything smaller in terms of sedans. In North America. Yes. So, I, I, and, and the Golf is, I mean, I mean, the Golf's disappearing, so. Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's the only way we, we relate to the thing. So for them to say it has potential as... <laughs> I love that. I think that's so funny. And uh, um, they, they, they go on to expand it. So apparently, according to Volkswagen statistics, which we're going to trust completely, 80% of customers who are buying in the entry-level segment, which is 30% of everyone buying a car in China, for 80% of those people, it's the first time they're ever buying a car. And those buyers are 20 years younger than they are in Europe or America. So Holy they God. are just salivating. They're just salivating. But you know what? I, there's some interesting stuff in here that that talks about just how expensive new cars have gotten in North America. So I believe the average transaction price of a brand new car in North America, right around $35,000 US. Mm-hmm. So in China, in the entry-level segment, which is one-third of all sales, they're spending between 8,000 and 15,000 euros. Okay. So that's like well under $20,000. Yeah, good for that's interesting. I, and, I mean, that's amazing to be honest. And 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 China is Volkswagen's largest market. Mm-hmm. 50%, A lot of automakers' largest market too. Now, fifty percent of Volkswagen's worldwide sales are in China. So we're going to see more of this stuff. We're going to see more Jetta sub brands and Polo sub brands and all sorts of fun stuff like that. Um, but there's there's another thing that I want to see more of from Volkswagen that we're not necessarily going to get, and that's their incredible devotion to bees, Sammy. Oh, here we go to this. Bees and bee products. <laughs> in case you missed it, back in November, <laughs> bees moved into Volkswagen Motorsport. And while that might sound strange, <clears throat> here's what it means. 50,000 bees, two colonies of bees that had 50,000 bees in each, moved into Ikarusali 7A and Hanover Vanneride, which is where Volkswagen Motorsport is headquartered. Yeah. Um the, the bee colonies have been named the I.Bs in reference to Volkswagen's fully electric ID. family. Um, this is news, according to Volkswagen. They put up a whole press release with a bunch of pictures of some guys wearing Volkswagen hoodies, sitting with the bees, looking excited about the bees, just hanging out with bees. Sammy, what do you think about this? What do I think about this? This is incredible how much um they have this devotion to bees they always want to i think it's also meant to be a sort of reaction to dieselgate and those other um you know those claims not claims the proof that volkswagen might have been poisoning the environment uh, a lot more than they had been given credit for so now they're showing that you know we are environmentally responsible we we appreciate biodiversity and they want to have bees on campus all the time I think this is wild. I think this is insane. Um, but the the best part about this piece of news that I got was the paragraph at the end that says, bee colonies and their activities have always been a source of inspiration for humans. <laughs> always. They've both, never not inspired us as a species. Both sociologically, as in, you know, between worker bees and queen bees, and technically. The achievement of bee colonies are no stranger to motorsport either. Did you know this? I I am on the edge of my seat. (laughs) The tremendous rigidity of hexagonal honeycombs, inspired by bee honeycombs, for example, is used in composite systems in the monocoque and aerodynamic components of the fully electric IDR. Is it possible, Sammy? (laughs) Is it possible that that, that, that Volkswagen is run by bees? (laughs) That there is a queen bee (laughs) at the head of their board? That we don't know about and we'll never know about because we're not 12th degree Illuminati. Yeah. And that this is just – this is the way they're letting humanity know that we're underneath bee thumbs or bee knees or whatever it is. Because 
This is one of a – for long-time <laughs> listeners to the podcast, you'll know that this is not the only time Audi or Volkswagen has made reference to bees or honey or both in, yeah. in an extensive set of press releases. Um, this is a continual thing that we will document as long as they keep their bee love alive. I Same mean, we've got our eyes on this uh, Volkswagen, this bee-run Volkswagen. Right? I, dot, I dot bees. <laughs> Well, when will we know that enough is enough that they've gotten enough bees? It'll be too late, right? There's a lot of pressure on these bees, too, because they're expected to produce 80 kilograms of honey. So that's 160 pounds of honey every year. Um, for one kilogram of honey, the bees must make between 100,000 and 200,000 flights. What does that mean? Actually, pause. Why are they expected to produce 80, 80 kilograms of honey? Because the Volkswagen queen bee has do? spoken. <laughs> gonna do with or without this bee this honey i would hope to eat it in a delicious honey kind of smorgasbord of some kind that's, <laughs> that's it yeah i mean oh oh there's an answer sammy the honey from the ibs the name was proposed by volkswagen motorsport employees okay thank you for that the most creative people in the room will be used in the future as a small gift for customers and staff of course <laughs> the latter will not be available until next year because the working year of bees is already over Oh, they're on vacation. They are taking it easy for the winter months. Um, so yeah, that's that wraps this up our Volkswagen bee news. Oh uh, my goodness! If anyone listening has any questions about bees or wants to talk about bees on a future <laughs> podcast, we're up for it. Yeah, please talk to our uh, just just send us an email. You know what? Or a bee? What is what is a bee mail? Is it just bee mail? Be, remember to be kind, and we'll answer your question. Uh, Sammy, there's a couple other things I want to talk about news wise oh, okay. um, th- this month. Um, Briefly, there's going to be an N-Line Hyundai Sonata. Lightning round, what do you think of that? Uh, about t- I mean, it's supposed to be there. We used to have a Sonata Turbo that used to have 275 horsepower, and then the recent one has 250. Uh, it, makes, it makes perfect sense to have a turbocharged vehicle, a tur- turbocharged, a high-performance version of the Sonata. Yeah. Uh, and, and, especially and, because the, the V6 Camry still exists, and, tur- and the turbocharged um, Legacy and Accord are still out there as well. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the the Camry because that's, what, 306 horsepower or something like that? Yeah, out of a V6, though. Out of a V6. So the, the new Sonata N-Line will be 100, 290 horsepower and 310 pound-feet of torque, which is like 100 horsepower more than the base model Sonata. Okay. Um, it, I'm surprised this is being positioned as an N-Line. I mean, it feels kind of just like they should have made it anyway. It should, they should yeah, have been there. Um, you're going to get N-line specific wheels and brakes and all sorts of fun stuff for sporty driving you're never going to do in this car. Yep. It will be interesting to see. Do you think this motor will trickle down to non-sport models? I don't know. I mean, if they're going to be start, starting this with an I, as an ID-line vehicle to go ahead not and... Not ID-line. That's the Bs. The Sorry. Bees not ID, the, uh-oh. The Bs oh, goodness. Here. Uh, N-line vehicles. Um, I'm... I, I mean, it would have to stay that way, wouldn't it? I don't know. I, I really don't. I it's got to. I don't know. Yeah. I'm all over the place on this, Ben. It is. It is definitely something to think about in more depth and then comment on intelligently. Um, <laughs> the, the last right, bit of the last bit of news that I wanted to get to is uh, actually Aston Martin related. Um, they might be changing ownership soon, Sammy. Okay, now that's interesting, um, and that is very important for a, a company as small and as with, with um, you know, sights set on taking taking on some of the most important vehicles in this in the in the industry, which is exotics and high end vehicles. So 
tell me what I think is going on. I'm, I believe that an ownership group helmed by Lance Stroll of Racing Point Racing. Well, Lawrence, is, Lawrence Stroll. So Lance sorry, Stroll Lawrence. is the F1 driver yeah. and Lawrence is his dad. Right. And uh, Lawrence, actually a Canadian from the Quebec, from the province of Quebec, he is looking to take over Aston Martin because their share price dropped recently due to some losses in the last quarter. So um, he thinks that they're going to be profitable in the future because the DBX is coming, which we've talked yeah. about on the show. And they're trying to double their sales by 2023, which seems like a reasonable goal. But uh, right now... The company is owned by Edim Prime Prime Wagon, which is a Kuwaiti-based shareholding group, and an Italian group called Invest Industrial. Those are the okay. two primary. They own 36 and 31%. So Stroll would theoretically buy one of those controlling shares or buy enough of the public stuff to leverage some type of control over the board anyway. Uh, Stroll made his money with Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger. He's he's been a big textiles guy, and it would be interesting to see if his son would move over from the amusingly named Racing Point team to the Aston Martin Red Bull team if that was to happen. Because Red Bull's already got um, uh, some great drivers with Albon yeah. and Verstappen, right? So yeah. Stroll has not had any success of note on the circuit, and it would be hard for me to see them kicking out either of those drivers from Aston Martin Red Bull. In favor of Stroll, I just, I don't, I mean, F1 politics is beyond my understanding, but I just don't see it. The, I think the more important thing to, to, to talk about here is going away from Formula One, but into the OEM side of things and manufacturing side of things. I, I'm, I'm with Stroll on this in saying that I think Aston Martin's on a, is going to be on an upswing. The DBX, which you had a chance to take a look at, if I remember correctly. Yeah, well, it's public uh, now, but I, I had a bit of a, a preview. Yeah, it, it's, it should be a pretty popular car, especially considering things like the Yaris, the, um, what are the other ones called? The Bentega, the Cullinan, and I'm certain that there's going to be, a, in fact, there is a new Maybach GLS coming. Oh. There's go, there's all sorts of high-end SUVs that are coming and people are um, spending money on. And I think the Aston Martin DBX is a chance in this segment. However, you saw this thing in person? Yeah. And? I anything, mean, as anything a, caught your eye about this? It has a very nice interior. Um, it's not objectionably styled. They put a lot of effort into it, and, and it manages to look a lot smaller than it really is, which I think is a a good achievement. You know my opinion on on these high end SUVs. Um, I feel like I it's it's hard to understand why they exist outside of a business case, and mm-hmm. for that reason, it's hard to, for me to get excited about them. Uh, I, they are profit centers for these companies, and if a vehicle like a DBX means Aston Martin gets to continue producing cool sports cars, I'm very into that. Absolutely. And they have been making some really cool sports cars. Um, all right. I think any, any more news that you want to bring up? No, not unless you've got some surprise B stuff for me to talk about. No, I've got no new B things for you to talk about. Bum, I'm sorry. Bum. Maybe next week. All right. So uh, speaking of next week, um, what are we going to be talking about next week? I have a new Cadillac XT6 to uh, talk about, which is another vehicle that I think I had some pretty high expectations on, but uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll dive into it next week as to whether or not it meets them. And I'll be talking about the Mercedes-Benz A-Class, which is my – I had the chance to drive that for the first time, and I had heard a lot of good things, so I was very curious to see if those would play out. Okay. If you, dear listener, have not subscribed to our podcast, 
I would recommend that you do so so you hear that really good and important content, not to mention all future B-related uh, stories. Dripping you can with do that. honey right down you can, your RSS feed. You can subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher. Just uh, search for the Unnamed Automotive Podcast right in there, and you'll be able to subscribe. Or you can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and you'll see a bunch of buttons that allow you to subscribe to the podcast. Additionally, you can see all of our uh, previous episodes, and more importantly than that, you can find a way to get in touch with us through there. So there's a contact form. You you fill that out, and it goes right into our inboxes. Additionally... You can reach out to Ben and I on on social media. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at underscore, sorry, I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, S-A-M-I underscore H-A, like you're laughing. Uh, And Ben is found on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. What else can we tell them? Well, you can also email me directly, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I swear I open every email. (laughs) So thanks everyone for listening, and we can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.